Welcome to the CX AI and Outsourcing Podcast, a show about the people, technology, and economics that are shaping the customer support industry. My name is John Walter, and today we have a conversation with Irina Mateva with Wright WFM. Today we talk about average handle time as a metric, how it should be used and how it shouldn't be used. And then, of course, because I'm on the call and I tend to digress in this direction, We have a conversation about our various perspectives on the role of AI in the contact center and how it is impacting the industry. Without any further delay, let's get started. Irina Mateva with Wright WFM. So excited to be talking with you. I'm always following you on LinkedIn. You have very, very insightful content that you put out. And this is just an opportunity to dig in deeper to some of that content. But let's start off by talking about who you are and what you do. And can you give me a little bit of a background about how you got into workforce management and what you do today? First of all, hey, John, it's very nice to be chatting with you today. And thanks for having me. Thanks for the invitation. I am currently having my own consultancy company for WFM services. It's called WFM, as you mentioned. I started my journey in workforce management around 14, 15 years ago. And as I always say, it was by a sheer accident, by chance. I actually wanted to leave a job that I really didn't like. I was very miserable with it. So I was looking at different uh, jobs that I can do. And I didn't know much about planning, if anything. I have never worked in a contact center before. So it was just a very random job that was proposed to me. And I started as a planner, but my function back at the time was a bit odd. It wasn't traditional. The contact center that I started working at has introduced a new way of scheduling. So I was mostly looking at the scheduling from a new employment uh, law that I had to research and see how is that going to relate to the employees and to the current ways of scheduling. And with time, actually, I got promoted to an actual planner that does the schedules themselves. And out of there, I started doing intraday management. I started doing forecasting. I became the manager of that team. And a couple of years later, I actually became a consultant working on a global project where we rolled out WFM solution to all the 30 markets of a major retail, one of the most famous company in the world, I would say. And by the end of this project, I decided to go for another WFM where I stayed a little bit over a year, I would say, until I decided to finally go on my own and pursue what I always wanted to do. When it comes to the types of environments you've been doing workforce consulting with, has it been mostly inbound support or is it outbound? Like what type of customer support context was it? I would say it's a mix. Most of the contact centers actually have inbound and outbound at the same time. Maybe the inbound is the primary way of uh, interacting with customers, but certainly a lot of them do have an outbound campaigns as well. And yeah, some contact centers, but the contact centers that I work with that a little bit more focused on outbound are a little bit more on the smaller size. So I would say usually it's a mix of both. Something I'm very interested in talking about today is your perspective of average handle time as a metric. You've put out a very bold statement on LinkedIn that a lot of people resonated with about how you do not favor this metric. Can you give a high level view of what you think about average handle time as a metric in the call center environment? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I can start off by saying I was really surprised. I didn't expect so many reactions on that topic. And let me just correct you a little bit here. I don't dislike that as a metric. It's very important metric. I dislike it as being a KPI for agents. If we break it down, what is average handling time? This is the amount of time that an agent spends interacting or handling a customer inquiry. So what does it tell you? If I ask you, what does it tell you about your interaction with a customer or with an agent? Simply how long you're on the interaction with them. So from my experience, often when we put it, I wouldn't even say often, I would say always when we put it as a KPI that actually teaches the agents to limit their interaction with the customer until a certain time frame in order either not to get penalized or to get incentivized. Both are very, very wrong because what they should care about and what we should care about as organization is that they do a good job. That's all. In order for us as an organization to have a sustainable business, our agents only need to focus about the quality of the job that they are performing. And being fast, being quick, certainly it can be an element, but it cannot be a sole KPI. It could be a performance indicator that is contributing to their overall quality, but as a KPI, honestly, for me, it doesn't bring much. I would much rather, if I have to choose, leave that as a KPI for the team leads, right? but not to the agents. Can you elaborate on that a little further about the team leads? The reason I want to dig into this is because, so I work a lot in the helping companies outsource human agent support, and they have weekly business reviews between the outsource vendor and the company. And, you know, they look at all the different metrics that are important to the client. Average handle time is always one of them. And it's a very important metric when it comes to the, uh, when it comes to cost, right? I mean, it's a direct correlation to cost. And in the outsourcing environment, that's um, a very important one to match. But there's often an inverse relationship between, you know, you pull one lever and another one goes up. So, you know, you might decrease average handle time and then, you'll see CSAT scores also decreasing in conjunction with it. So it's, you have an unintended consequence that it might be occurring. And, and sometimes we see that. I, recently, I saw we had a one client with multiple locations with one vendor, different geographies. And they're saying, hey, what's happening in this one location? Why do they, ha- they're doing good in these other metrics, but why is their CSAT score suffering? And it was pretty clear that it's, hey, you know, this location, they're cutting things too short. They're focusing too heavily on the average handle time. This other geography over here, they're doing a very good job of explaining things to the customer. They're taking a little bit more time, but it's adding a little bit more time, but the increase in customer satisfaction is significant. And so it's definitely a balancing act. But I see what you're saying where if you have that as a, you put too much weight on this, it can have an adverse impact on the customer. Yeah, absolutely. And I hear what you're saying. Uh, For me as a planner, average handling time is inevitable. That's how we're calculating how many people do we need, right? So it is a metric that needs to be there. Why I mentioned team leads is because you put it very right, is that the only reason why is it so heavily involved as a component to outsourcing especially is because of cost. That's it. It doesn't tell you absolutely anything else. It does help you manage that cost. And I absolutely agree. It should be a balance. But if you think about it, if we start from scratch, how do we define how much it should be that time? 
wherever it's handling time, your target, whether it's two minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, how do we decide? Because in a lot of places it's like, oh, well, you know, we take an average and that's it. But is that supposed to be your target? What is it based on? Who needs to be in charge of your agents? What are their opening statements to a customer? How long would it take to have those opening statements? What should be the, uh, the different type of conversation for different types of interaction, for different types of questions? How much work is it involved after the conversation with the customer is finished, for example? There should be a very scripted exercise that is made in order for a company to come with a target. And after that exercise is made, and after you have rolled out that time that you referred to as target for average handling time, only then somebody needs to train these agents and need to start monitoring these agents and can see, okay, they're having issues with this part, with this part, with that part, and they can start coaching them and training them. Otherwise, and that's why I said that it can be a KPI for either quality analysts or for team leads, depending on the setup of the organization. I don't see why this should be a KPI for the agents. It can be a performance indicator. As I said, it is important. It should be there, but it's not key performance indicator for that agent. So a few things to unpack there. One is the establishment of a baseline. So what you're advocating for is how much time does it reasonably take to do a great job? And, you know, all things considered. And so the organization just needs to not overly obsess on just trying to constantly press down the average handle time. I think everybody will agree to that. So it really comes down to the art of saying, hey, what is a reasonable amount of time? And then maybe fighting back within the organization saying, hey, we need the budget to support this amount of average handle time and to achieve this service level. And to be an advocate within the organization to say, hey, listen, like, don't push it down below this. Yes, you can save some short-term costs, but the long-term cost of potentially losing loyal customers, not worth it. Am I hearing you correctly? That's what it comes down to is you have to take a very detailed look at what would a reasonable person who's providing high quality customer service, how much time would they take? What script would they follow under what circumstances? And maybe have somewhat of a margin for them to be higher or shorter based on the circumstances so that the human's not having to act like a robot. When you say the QA and team leads, can you help me understand this? When you say the put the burden of having a healthy average hand time on the QA and team leads, how do you put that burden on them without the burden being passed down to the agents? Does that make sense? Because if you incentivize the team lead and the QA to achieve a certain average handle time, can you help me understand that? As I said, if I have to choose between, and if it's inevitable to assign that as a KPI for someone in the organization, that's when I'm going to be looking two QAs or team leads and not two agents. I absolutely agree with you. If the so AHD is put as a KPI, even if it's for team leads and if it's incentivized, then for sure it can be passed down to the agents, right? So it's like a vicious cycle. We're going in circles and basically passing on the problem down the line. That's why I said that for me, AHD as a thing, it's a performance indicator that should contribute 
to something bit bigger. And for me, this would be quality, for example. So your speed will have a weight on your overall quality. And in your overall quality, it would be the way you treat your customers, how happy are they with you, and so on and so on. But for me, this is a very detailed exercise. It's just a speed on its own doesn't resolve anything. And you mentioned something very important. Yeah, we're looking at it in terms of cost at the moment. But if we start losing customers because we're rushing them, I believe both of us probably have seen that overall, we're going to have less and less and less business in time. Therefore, we're going to need less and less and less people. So how much are we actually benefiting from just respecting speed? It seems to me that there's a burden of responsibility it might be on the team leads in the QA. And I, and I don't think it's for them to pressure their teams into achieving certain average handle times as the main burden. That is a responsibility to make sure everyone is operating efficiently and doing a good job at the same time. But maybe there's also a burden for them to be very proactive in fighting for appropriate average handle times to be recognized and to be respected to help the organization to set boundaries, to say, you know, this is an investment worth making and just a thought. But somebody needs to be that advocate. Somebody needs to be able to have like the feet on the ground to say, hey, like, you know, and the QA and team leads. I mean, I can't think of many people who are better suited for that, right? I mean, they're, they're the ones who are having front row seats to the interactions between the agents and the customer at scale. And so it's more than just what one individual agent is seeing. So they're seeing what the entire team is doing. They're seeing what works and what doesn't work work and then is able to maybe the right person to be the one to fight for those benchmarks, like you said, and to help fight against that toxic culture that can be created by over obsessing on average handle time. Yeah, absolutely. And team leads are the people that are overall responsible for their agents, right? So if there is a problem with performance, if there is a problem with behavior, if there is a concern from the agents, who do they go to? They go to their team lead. So overall, they are the ones responsible. And if what we want from them is inachievable and it leads to more stress or it's harmful for the business, somebody needs to be able to observe that and to advocate for that from the inside. Planners cannot be that people, right? Because what we do is we take that input and we calculate how many people do you need to do that job based on that data. But what's inside that data, whether they do a good job, a bad job, whether they're rushing through the interactions, whether they're too quick, whether we need to find different targets, it's entirely up to the team leads and to the quality specialist if they have a um, separate team for that in the organization. And one more thing that I just wanted to mention on this one is that what I often see as another type of mistake is that targets are not revised, right? We set a certain service level, we set a certain AHD, uh, we set different metrics throughout the organization, and we rely on them for years and years and years. But the truth is that businesses change, um, products change, processes change, so I always struggle understanding how is it that you keep the same targets for 15 years and absolutely nothing changes for you from data perspective, you, you actually expect the same results based on a completely new and changed environment. So often this is the reason why things don't really 
work out. And again, if we're looking at purely IHT, for example, it could be that today a very good interaction takes five, five minutes and it's going by a script. It's amazing. But in five years from now, something has changed drastically. We cannot keep relying on those five minutes. It could be two minutes now. We cannot automate a lot of things in the meantime that do not require agents to spend so much time with the customers. It can be that we need 10 minutes because we actually automated a lot of the simple tasks, but now agents are only dealing with very complex issues. So targets definitely needs to be revisited. Great points. On that topic, I'm interested to hear your view from a, a workforce management perspective. Everyone's going crazy about AI. What are just your general views on the use of AI and customer support, especially coming from your workforce management background? I mean, I love it. I absolutely am very supportive of AI. I think it's inevitable. I think we should advocate to use it more in organizations because the purpose of AI is to automate a lot of the simple tasks that are actually a reason for people being bored with their job. People needing more time than actually they can do for something more complex or for a different type of tasks. AI can allow people to diversify their tasks. So it brings so much positive things. And the reality in most of the contact centers is that they are understaffed. So I always struggle uh, hearing the um, opinion, yeah, but if we introduce AI, that's going to remove the jobs from the contact center. But we are already understaffed. Basically, introducing AI means that you're going to be correctly staffed to deal with your customers in a very good way. So I'm a big advocate for AI. I don't understand why people are so scared. Maybe some jobs, I wouldn't say will become redundant. I would say it will be changed. If AI and automation was not a thing, we would be still dealing in contact centers, picking up physical phones rather than automating stuff all over the place. So I think it's a standard and something that we should pursue. Yeah, very good points. I'm in total agreement. My perspective is that without AI, just human manual labor only, that providing adequate customer support in 2023 is cost prohibitive. It is cost, it is impossible only using humans to provide high quality customer support at scale because it's just too expensive and most companies simply cannot afford it. It's not the corporations are greedy and trying to fire everybody and like line their pockets. It's just, it is expensive to do large scale customer support. And the ultimate goal of the customer support team is to serve the customer. It could be interpreted harshly to say, but a goal of a company is not to employ people. It is to serve people. And whatever leads to the greatest quality service to the customer at the lowest cost needs to be pursued. And that will cause some jobs perhaps to become automatable in ways that we never thought was possible. It's pretty remarkable what this technology can do. And it's very new and it still has a long way to go. But it's, yeah, definitely when it comes to that whole concern of, hey, you know, we want, we just need to protect jobs, protect jobs. That's not a healthy mindset. That's, it's a selfish mindset. No one should go to work saying, hey, I'm going to work for me. The purpose of work is to, we are all called to serve others. That's like our calling in life is to serve others. And our primary way of accomplishing that is through our vocation. 
And if you go to work and it's all about me, 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 and I'm going to disadvantage somebody else, they're going to have to pay more money because I want my job. That's not a good thing. It's just not sustainable. Someone else is going to come around and say, hey, no, 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 we're going to be more proactive, more forward thinking, and we're going to deliver the highest quality customer support at a fraction of the cost. And therefore, the cost of goods is much lower. And so it's a win-win-win for everybody. Some people will be have to move around, uh, of course, if displacement occurs. When it comes to the intersection of workforce management, are there certain tools that you've, you know, of course, everybody's been fascinated with conversational AI, and that's been dying down a little bit because people are, are very still really scared. It's funny, like all, all these vendors, AI vendors come out and they're trying to sell the moon and large enterprises are still very hesitant of using conversational AI, like generative AI to communicate directly with their customers. They're using it in a host of different ways, such as like better interpreting the customers and selecting pre-written responses to the customers and performing quality analytics on the calls, tons of things. But from, from a workforce management perspective, is there a certain use of this technology that kind of stands out when it comes to planning? Have you ever seen, have you seen any tools that you think are interesting? I have certainly seen some tools that are going into that direction, but from a workforce management perspective, I would rather look at the whole AI on a general kind of view, because for me, it's still a lot of people prefer to talk to people, maybe because they think that the person would understand me better if they hear my emotion. And a lot of tools can already pick up on that sentiment and can apply the responses exactly like you mentioned. But for us, it's still psychological. You know, it's just an algorithm after all. It provides me with something based on digesting a lot of information, but it's not the person. It will not prioritize me. It will not do a lot of stuff if I ask for support, for help, cry on the phone or whatever else. So I would still say that for me, it's too early to see that involvement, especially in workforce management, but I wouldn't discount it. Actually, I would embrace every kind of development in AI, in AI that can help workforce management. Yeah. It's a very interesting point you brought up earlier about as more tasks and communications are automated, not only from a communication standpoint, maybe it's just, it's very, very interesting. There's this technology out there where literally the machine is observing what's happening on the screen as an agent's talking with a customer and, you know, they're clicking between panels and it just through simple observation learns to automate those tasks. And so let's say like a refund in the past would take eight minutes of an agent gathering information from the customer and, and needing to get the order number. And then they go over to the CRM and then they have to maybe go to, to PayPal and then they have to go to like, they use Shopify, you might have to go to Shopify. You're going through, through all these different screens and it would take eight minutes for the agent to go through this process. And then this system is able just to, through a mere observation, see what's happening and then create a button. So like that creates an automated workflow. So that eight minute workflow becomes 10 seconds, <laughs> just crazy, which is crazy. Um, I didn't know that kind of stuff was possible because like, I, I knew it was possible in the past through having like teams come in and consultants come in and develop a system on your behalf. But this is just simply, hey, let this run in the background and let it learn what your agents are doing and then just to automate those things. So you're shaving off tremendous amounts of time on every interaction, and you need to be able to accommodate that from the top to bottom. That changes the entire dynamic of how you plan your resources. Yeah. And you know what? It's very challenging to be a planner. It's very exciting. But one thing I have learned that planners in general do love challenges. So if they have to recalibrate, if they have to look for new logic, for new ways to do their job, 
I can guarantee you that most of them are going to be super excited. Awesome. Well, Irina, I've run up on my time that I've allotted on your calendar, so I want to respect your day. And I will provide a link to your LinkedIn profile in the description of the notes. And I just encourage everybody who's interested in the topic of workforce management or just call center operations in general, follow Irina on LinkedIn. She puts out insightful content. I've been trying to encourage her to start a podcast because I think it would be very popular. And so <laughs> and so, I look forward to continuing the conversation. And thank you for joining me today. I really enjoyed just talking and hearing your thoughts on all this. Thanks for having me, John. It's always a pleasure. All right, we'll talk soon.